seated, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Esther chapter 3 in verse 8, and that's going to be where we kind of start off a little bit, and then uh, we'll go from there. But, you know, <clears throat> we're in this interesting time period. In just a few weeks, there's going to be some voting that takes place, and I'd like to tell you that it's not the, it's not the pulpit's place nor the church's place to tell you who to vote for per se. But I do think that, that if I can just kind of give you a public service announcement, you need to vote according to the word of God. And, and you need to vote for those who as closely as they can uh, will, will honor some of the commandments of God and, and honor the things of God. And, but, but right now on every printed paper that you can get, every, uh, uh, there, there is just slamming on the TV ads and billboards, you get all these campaign promises. Some of them are bombastic in nature. They promise the whole world. Some of them are derogatory in nature. And uh, really, to be honest, whether they're Democratic, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, I don't care who they are, uh, when, a, when a politician speaks, be real careful on how much you just grab hold of it. Because a lot of those campaign promises tend to go by the wayside once they get the votes. And so that's how it is. But um, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of promises that are made that are never kept. Have you in your life, for whatever reason, been told a promise that somebody didn't keep? I got one person. Man, that too. That's awesome. I, man, I don't know. I must be hanging around the wrong group of people. Let me try it again. Have you ever been promised something and it never come to pass? <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah. And so uh, it's these things. But let's start in Esther chapter 3 and verse 8. And Haman said to King Azarias, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. Their laws are diverse from all the people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those who have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasury. Now, that's a bribe, just in case you're wondering. He says, let's make a law, and I'll bribe the king a little bit. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of, of uh, Hamadatha the Agite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said to Haman, the silver is given to thee and the people also to do with what it seems good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month and there was written all according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, to every people after their language in the name of King Azarias was it written and sealed with the king's ring. The letters were sent by post to all of the king's province to destroy, to kill, to cause, to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to take the spoil of them for prey. And the copy of the writing for a commandment was to be given in every province, was published unto all the people that they should be ready against that day. And the post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment. And the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. The city was perplexed. Now, we live in a, a, a democratic uh, form of government. And, and to be honest, us Americans, we scoff a little bit when someone talks about the monarchies. We know what we came out of, a monarchy system of government. 
But this democratic system of government, for those of you who've forgotten a little civil, uh, uh, you know, ge- uh, geography in your in your schooling, in our democratic system of ju- government, there's three arms. There's the executive branch which is the president, it's the leading arm, if you will. There's the legislative branch made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and they are tasked with creating the laws. And the third branch is the judicial branch with the help of the Supreme Court that enforces the law. All of those have a system of checks and balances. For example, the House and the Senate can pass a vote and by that vote, but the president can, with a stroke of a pen, veto the vote and veto the law that was going to be passed. However, the Senate and the House can overturn that veto with a two-thirds majority vote. Likewise, the president can draft a, a bill or a proposal, but the House and the Senate, they can kill it in a session, It may not, not let it come to vote. It's a system of checks and balances. Even then, even if a law is passed, it has to be deemed constitutional by the Supreme Court. And so nobody or nothing, if you will, has full power here in America. We don't really have this concept of a monarchy. monarchy. But it's not the same in many areas of the world. How about let's take a trip to North Korea and you can watch how a tyrant can make a statement and whatever he says goes, even if it destroys a country. He can, he can, he can demand that the, uh, the factories work at 200% efficiency and they're going to try their very best because he spoke. In the 1700s, there was King Louis VIII and, and, he, I think it was, and he spoke of himself. He said, I am France. He called himself the Sun King. He said everything revolved around him and him alone. A king's word was his law. Here in Esther, you find one of the greatest examples of absolute monarchy. He was the king of a vast kingdom. He was the husband of that Jew that he didn't know was a Jew, name of Esther. In his confidence was a man named Haman who hated the Jews with a great passion because Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, wouldn't bow to Haman when Haman would walk down the road. He concocted a scheme to get King Azarias to sign a letter that would authorize Haman to kill all the Jews. And so the letter was signed. That's what we read. That's what we, we, we looked at in our text. The signet or the king's ring was given. It was, it, it was law. And you can imagine as the news got out, it made Mordecai nervous. He knew what the stakes were. He began to pray. He began to fast. He covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. Eventually, Esther the queen saw her uncle in that state and found out about the letter and she went into the king's chamber at risk of her own life to ask the king, why are you wanting to kill me? And she revealed herself to the king as being a Jew. She invited both Azarias and Haman over for a banquet. There she told the king of what Haman's cruel plan and the king was wroth and he ordered Haman to hang on the same gallows that Haman had planned for Mordecai's death. Now I know I'm giving this story in a nutshell so if you're not as familiar with it, go read the, the book of Esther. Read it. it won't take you that long. But when Esther asked the king to revoke his signed order for the Jews' death, he was unable to do so because a king's word was his law. 
And so the only thing he could do was write another law that said the Jews were able to fight back. Because of that, the Jews were saved. But what I want you to catch out of that is when a king speaks, it was law. I could take you to another time in the Bible that a king gave the order. A king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who erected a statue of his own likeness and commanded all to bow down before it. By messenger to all of his kingdom, he said, when the music plays, you must bow And if by some person, by whatever means or reason of insanity chooses not to bow, then we're going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Music is heard. All present on that plane bows, save for three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king hears of their disobedience, commands them to stand in front of him. And when they do, he he says, maybe you didn't hear the music. You know, it wasn't loud enough. I'll give you a chance. Because he liked those three Hebrew children. But when they are not careful to answer him, when they say, no, we, we will not bow to anyone save Jehovah, he gets angry. He commands the furnace to be heated up, if you will, seven times hotter. And his word was the law. And because he had spoken, it had to come to pass. Or, or what about King Darius, Daniel chapter 6? The man, Daniel, had become a man of great statue there in the kingdom of Babylon. In fact, he was the the leader, if you will, of all the princes. This made those other princes jealous. And so they they, they began to kind of scheme together and they had an idea. And so they went to King Darius and they said, you know what? I think we need to make it illegal for anybody to pray to anybody but you. I mean, oh, great king, you are are, are a god in among himself. And so let's make it to where no one could pray save to you and it, it... kind of got a hold of Darius's ego. He liked the sound of that, and without thinking, he signed pen to paper, signed it with the seal. The decree was there, and he decreed, and this is what it said in Daniel chapter 6, that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, the king, shall be cast into a den of lions. And so it says that, O king, establish this degree, decree, Sign the writing that it may not be changed according to the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. It was a, it was a legal statement that said when, when a king speaks, they, they, it, 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 it's there. Of course, Daniel, knowing what was at stake, did what he'd always done. Three times a day, he'd open his window and he'd pray. Daniel prayed. The, king, the princess cook, took, Dar- or took Daniel before Darius. And because of the law that Darius had signed, nothing could be done. Darius, in fact, after they had thrown him in a lion's den, Darius spent an entire night tossing and turning because he loved Daniel. And he he realized he had been tricked, but what he had written was already written and there was nothing he could do to change it. So finally he gets up early in the morning and he races there and he's expecting to find a carnage, a bloodbath, but instead he finds that God had stopped the mouth of the lions. But it was because when a king spoke, his word was his law. We can fast forward to John chapter 19 and verse 19. I could take you there to a place where it says that Pilate wrote a title. When they were going to put Jesus on the cross, he he wrote on a a sign and placed it at at the top of the cross. And the writing said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Verse 20 says this title was read by many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Pilate wanted to make sure everybody got it. The chief priest said to the 
said to the, the, the Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather write, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate made this statement. He said, what I've written, I've written. Because when a king speaks, it happens. In scriptural history, the power rests in the word of a king. And when a king spoke, you just kind of knew that it was going to happen. It doesn't, doesn't make near as much sense today. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a, a day and age in which honesty and integrity and character don't count near as much as how it used to. But I was taught by my grandfather and my father that a man's word ought to be his bond. If you're going to speak it, you ought to do it. And you'd like to think that politicians, they could promise you something and, and it would come to pass. But all too often in our life and in the history, we we find that man have failed to live up to the promises. But when a king speaks, it happens. A king's law is law. Now, maybe you can gather where I'm, I'm headed. I could take you to 1 Peter chapter 7 and verse 16 where it states that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the ultimate king, not just King Darius or King Nebuchadnezzar or, or, or even Pilate, but can I just tell you and remind somebody here today that he has spoken and his words have been recorded and they've been signed and when the king of kings speaks, just rest assured. It's going to happen. Things like Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and I think uh, Brother uh, uh, Andy's going to be putting them up, so even if I don't read the whole verse, you'll be able to catch it behind me. But Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the king said, But thou, O Bethlehem, Epitaph, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me the one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth had been from old, from everlasting. Just, you know, a king speaking. Just a king saying this is what's going to happen. And when a king speaks, it takes place. Because Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I love when the Bible just, you, you can just start putting the pieces together. Or Matthew, or, or rather Isaiah chapter 53 says, Oh, he'll bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. We'll esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He'll be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace will be upon him and with his stripes we are healed. We can talk about he's going to be oppressed and afflicted. He won't open his mouth. He'll be brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shearers is dumb. All you got to do is realize the king spoke. Start flipping over to the end of Matthew and the end of Mark and Luke and John and you realize everything that he said was going to take place took place exactly and the way it should be. Even Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19 says, you'll deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, but on the third day he'll rise again. And when the king spoke, Matthew 28 uh, or Matthew uh, uh, 28, 19 begins to tell us what happens. It, it, the prophecy of ascension, Psalms chapter 68 and verse 18 says, Thou ascended on high and led the captivity captive. You received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And when he spoke, there was a, a hillside where they gathered and they watched him. Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, they watch him ascend into heaven. But I want to tell you a few promises today. I want to just remind you, it's a very, very simple sermon, a lot of verses, but just a simple sermon to remind you today that if the king has said it, the king will do it. 
And so I, I don't know how many I have. I've, I've got probably 15 or 16 of them that I'm, I'm going to get to. But if you'll let me just read to you the words of the king, and then I want you to remember that when a king speaks, it comes to pass. Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and to he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And if a son asks for bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? It's a rhetorical question and the answer is no. If, the, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I want to just tell you today that, that, that if God said he's going to hear your cry and if God said he's going to open the door when you knock and He's going to, uh, uh, when you ask, you're going to find, just rest assured when the king speaks, it will come to pass. 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. I want to just ask somebody here, do you believe it when the king speaks? Have you seen it in his word? He signed it here. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Or Psalms 103. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. It's what I preached about this morning. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm here to tell you today, he promised you mercy. And if the king promises it, it comes to pass. What about Acts 2 verse 21? And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or Acts 2.39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The king promised salvation. The king promises there. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And if he promised it, it would come to pass. Psalms 93 or 91 and 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Psalms 91, 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Can I just remind somebody right now? I'm just kind of going back in some scripture that if you're in trouble, if you're in a tight spot, if you're in a place where you don't know what you can do, he said you can call on him and he will answer and he will deliver. I, I I don't have any more than just what the word of God is saying because when a king speaks, it will come to pass. I'm not doing much uh, uh, commentary on these verses. I'm not going to give you much of the story behind them. I just want you to read and hear what the word of God says and then just remember king speaks and it happens. Psalms 91 two. Man, that psalmist knew what he was saying when he began to talk about the king. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust and his truth shall be his shield and buckler. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver him. Can I just tell somebody now that God has promised to protect you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. Just in case you haven't heard me preach that, let me remind you one more time what that means. A standard was a staff. It was a, a banner. It was a flag that represented a regiment or an army. And you get this picture of God standing in front of you and planting that flag that says, I am God and I am God alone. And the enemy comes to it and recoils back because it can't cross what God says is not crossable there's a lot of times in your life you don't even know it but there's a lot of times in your life that God stands in front of you and says you know what I've had enough this right now today devil today enemy today sickness today depression you don't get to cross that line I'm going to stand in front of my child because I promised them I would and when I promise I always come through a promise of protection that that picture of the hen that gathers the chicks under her wings the shield and the buckler are all uh, uh, pictures of his promise of protection I've used this so many times Isaiah 9 6 I know it's talking about Jesus but it's that point that it says his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace it's Matthew 5 4 blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. I've experienced it. I know you have as well. But he's promised to comfort you when you mourn. He's promised to give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness and for mourning. And that promise, and if he promised it, it will come to pass. We've already mentioned it, but it's got to be mentioned again. Wounded for transgression, bruised for iniquities. But with his stripes, we are healed. I understand today that sometimes we pray for healing and the healing doesn't come. I understand that sometimes God has another plan for it. But the very fact that the way we thought God would heal didn't come to pass doesn't deny his promise of healing. And I'm convinced that we don't pray enough for that healing because sometimes it's just easier to say thy will be done but I keep looking at some places in the Bible where they came to the Lord and they said God we've got to have a healing I need it right now and they begin to press and they begin to pray and the Bible says it's by his stripes that we are healed there's a promise of healing and if God promised it it will come to pass There's a lot of other promises in the book of the Bible, in the books of the Bible. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 tells us this promise. That one day the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all of his holy angels with him and he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one for another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Oh, I know, I know that 
from since the days that our fathers have fell asleep and died. We've been saying, where's the promise of that coming? But the word comes back and says, uh, don't forget his promise. The Lord isn't slack, as some men count slackness. The Lord hasn't forgotten. He doesn't get feeble in his old age to where he forgets some of the things he said in his younger years. That's not how God works. I preached this morning, I'm going to say it again. There is only one reason why the Lord hasn't already come back. And it's because the Lord loves you and the Lord is not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. But don't forget, he promised he was coming again. Just as he promised he was going to destroy the earth with water in the flood, just as he promised some things in Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction, there is coming a day when he's coming back, a second coming, but also a judgment coming. And You better believe it if he said it, it's going to come to pass. That promise of judgment says this, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no way around that. That's what the answer is. That's what he said. The wages of sin is death. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. When a king speaks, it comes to pass. There's no way around the wages of death of sin is death. There's no way around what you deserve. Luke chapter 13 says it this way. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not from whence you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Verse 28 says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't preach a lot about this. I like preaching about heaven. I like preaching about the things that are, that are coming. I like preaching about the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the walls of Jasper. But he promised judgment to a sinner. And if that, that day comes when we stand before his judgment and you have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and you've not repented and let the waters of baptism cover your life, and you've not been filled with the Spirit, you're gonna, you cannot get up there and plead ignorance. You can't get up there and say, I didn't know the law. You can't get up there and say, I didn't know what it was. Here's what he's going to say. I spoke, and when a king speaks, it comes to pass. Depart from me. I don't even know you. The Bible says there'll be those that say, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. We even cast out devils in your name. We even healed and, 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 and prayed for people, and they were healed. And he said, I know, but I told you what it was going to take. The wages of sin is death. And when the king speaks, it comes to pass. I think we need a, a revival, if you will, of remembering that that day is not just heaven, but it's also the start of eternity for many that will be in hell. But 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not 
away. Our first John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And I want to just remind somebody, you've lived for God a long time, and you haven't seen that promise yet. You haven't walked on the streets of gold yet, but can I just remind you, if a king said it, it's going to come to pass, and one day the trump is going to sound the dead in Christ shall rise first and we that remain shall be caught up with him and I'm going to stand there and I'm going to say your word was true your word was true everything you said came to pass man there's so many promises I could spend eternity uh going through the Bible and showing you what he said. Those promises are from God and you and I can rely on them. And when a king speaks, rest assured it's going to happen. But I like what 1 Kings verse eight or chapter 8 and verse 56 says. Blessed be the Lord that giveth rest unto his people of Israel. According to all that he has promised, there hath not failed one word of all of his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Can I just repeat that? There has not failed one word of all of his good promises. In the, in the courts of law, you, you know, you stand up there and you can make some bold statements and then the the other lawyer comes and begins to cross-examine you and what they want to do is they want to find a hole somewhere. And, and they want to they want to kind of see if you haven't been consistent. And if you're not consistent then it, it everything else you say tends to be called into question. Does that make sense? By the way, just at a whole nother message, a whole nother thing, let me just remind you that we're called to be consistent with the Word of God. And just because there's one certain sin or one certain lifestyle that, you know, we want to get on a candy stick and go gripe about and preach about and, and, and stand on the street corners and get all the laws changed, all it takes is somebody that knows the Word of God that really don't care and they start asking you about other sins that you don't talk about and you don't care that much about and then all of a sudden your holiness seems to be called into question. I want to stand for the truth of God on the small things the little white lies if you will all the way to the great big things that matter. But when you begin to look at the whole word of God you cannot find one little hole in all the things that he said. You can't, you can't find one little thread that you can pull on the argument and everything falls down. You, you can't find one uh, 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 thing that holds up the, the Word of God and if you knock it down, everything collapses because there's not failed one bit of that promise that He's promised. So what that ought to tell you is that those things that He's promised that have not yet come to pass, they will. They will. You ever um you ever ever had somebody promise something on your behalf and you can't back it up? You know, 
It's a little kid. It's, it's, it's Andrew that looks at his dad and, or, or looks at me and he says, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, my dad can do 50 push-ups with just his, his pointer finger. Poor Brother Shane's over there going, shut up. Stop. <laughs> oh, no, you can do that? Let's try it out. <laughs> but you ever had that where, where somebody, somebody, you know, they, they promise something on your behalf and then you realize you can't do it? You can't measure up to what they promised? I want to leave you with this today. I want you to stand with me. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21. I realize that in some places I may be taking some of these verses. I'm only giving you the one verse and there's other context and other things that are there. But I love what it says. And being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is also able to perform. There's no performance issues with the Lord. You're not going to find a place where you, you get him to, to the place where he goes, I can't back that up. I know I promised you that, but man, I'm sorry. It's the, the little, is it the FDIC thing that you get at the banks that say, you're insured for this amount of money if the banks fail. But if you have more than that in the bank, it doesn't cover it. It's an out that if, if something horrible happens, the stock market crashes again. The bank would have a legal footing to look you in the eye and say, I know you had money in this bank, but we are unable to back it up right now. There's nothing we can do. You lose it all. God doesn't get to that place. And so I want to remind somebody right now, I'm being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is also able to perform. I don't know what promise it is that maybe you're holding on to. I'm not exactly sure what one of these verses sort of got your attention and reminded you again of something the king has spoken. But you have every right to look at the Lord and say, God, I know what your word said. And I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the promise. I'm standing on the fact that you're a king. And when a king speaks, his word is law. I wonder if you could close your eyes again. I, I invite you to find your place in the Word of God. I invite you to find your place in, in what God, God's Word has for you. And why don't you grab hold of that promise for a moment? You, you can talk to God about it. You can, you can say, Lord, this is what your Word said, and I desperately need it to happen. Why don't you take Him at His Word in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Says that I